Hello and welcome to the Datum Podcast. This is season two, episode five, and I'm joined by my co-host Ravi. How are you doing? Hello, um, I'm well. I'm very well. Um, we have a new name. We do, and, and you got it wrong <laughs> to start. <laughs> I with. got it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> to start with. We yeah. didn't hear that, folks. But uh, yeah, this is the Datum Podcast. We've we've kicked our new name into action. Um, so we are now Datum Pod on Twitter, yeah. and you can find us on datumpodcast.com. Cool. Yeah, no. So, um, no, I quite like the rebrand, the colors and the logo. If you spotted the logo last week, folks, it was on the album art. Of course, it's going to be changed on the actual podcast itself now. So you'll have a brand new podcast that might look a bit strange and new, but it's still us. It is a bit weird, but we're talking about behavioral design today. But yeah, one right. of those things in podcasts is like when the, when they change their album art, it kind of it kind of shocks you, doesn't it? You kind of think, oh, hold on. This is this is new. This is different. Yeah. So, it's quite quite topical actually it comes back to habits and what we're used to and all this stuff right so yeah exactly but before we dive into that uh let's just do some follow-up on uh the previous episode which was about champions um what did you think of the show no it was good i am again like i said it's a passion um topic of mine i really this these are the conversations i have every day in my day job right so this is the stuff sort of stuff i'm doing for our customers um helping them focus in on what they need to do to be successful so it was really fun to talk about and think about in this structured way i say structured but um a lot of this podcast comes off the off the cuff right so um <laughs> yeah exactly but the feedback was good actually i mean it wasn't it wasn't huge um we we did get a few positive notes i think there was one one gent who's like actually this is exactly what i'm doing at work right now i'm thinking right. about all this meta level stuff so yeah hopefully um it'll it'll be useful um to come and yeah, hope, I'm hoping that this maybe it's, it's definitely a topic we can come, keep coming back to, right? Exactly, and some of this stuff is timeless as ever. I think uh, I was telling you about uh, another topic which I think we need to revisit, having heard another podcast. So we'll come we'll come to that a little bit later. But um, as ever, please please send us feedback whenever we do a show. Or you think something's missing? Uh, we, we always take that feedback on board. Absolutely. Um, Right, so behavioral design. I mean, the, the the name of the podcast today is behavioral design and analytics, but I feel like we have to start first at what is behavioral design. Yeah, again, this if anyone watched my Tableau Fringe Festival talk, it was on about behavioral nudges in design um, for dashboards, um, and and a lot of that comes back to my sort of roots in behavioral economics. This is um, we're gonna we're gonna touch on Tim's favorite topic when I'm gonna talk about the dissertation, um about about recycling habits and the, the the habit habitual nature of of what we do and why we do it is definitely about what um where we come to with behavioral design because um if anyone's read or if you haven't read um nudge by thaler and sunstein is a book that's fantastic for me um and it really encompasses this idea that you nudge different you use different aspects either in design or in life to nudge people in the right direction it's a really good book, actually. I, I first came across it um, through a series of suggestions. Um, actually, I was, I, was, I was at a Quantified Self meetup and someone talked about thinking fast and slow yeah, in relation right. to something I was talking about with music by uh, Daniel uh, Kahneman. And then someone else suggested, well, have you actually read this uh, book about nudge? Um, it's actually a really good book. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, it's actually about health and well-being yeah. mostly, but uh, sort of the mechanics behind that actually and how we can sort of push people towards a certain it, choice that's actually good for them. It, it's good because we'll talk about some of the ethics of all of this stuff a bit later in the podcast, but um, it really talks about that sort of thing because you're, you're, 
you're typically doing a nudge to drive a positive a positive outcome um mm-hmm. but of course it can be used for the opposite um exactly and in many ways um this touches on a couple of the topics we we've already talked about um we talked about champions last mm-hmm. time around which is really important because your champions uh are most often actually tasked with this with this job of um you know thinking about design in analytics and so behavioral design would naturally fall into their their plate uh, sort of unknowingly in most cases um, and then the other side of this is obviously vis literacy, which we've also talked about previously. Uh, and it goes back to how, how do people understand and interact with what they've been presented with? Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, the, the other the other stuff is this sort of branches out into is um, just just about I, I want to say just about everything, but I'm going to call out two of the specific ones. First is like general user interface, so UX design, mm-hmm. uh, and then the second is gaming. So, for example, for user interface design, you can think about Tinder, for example, completely disrupted the dating game with an app because it was a simple um, application which allowed you to swipe left or right like based on what you wanted. And it was just a really simple, here's your instructions, here's your cue, do this, do this, and your reward is if someone likes you, they'll pop up. Otherwise, they're, they're, they're gone forever, basically, right? Um, right? Similarly, like if we think about like addictive social media applications, the reason these things are addictive is that they're designed in a certain way to either by algorithm or by visual design, all of these different things, to make sure that you keep on scrolling, right? Keep on scrolling past mm-hmm. those adverts, keep on being a consumer in, in this world. And uh, I mentioned with, with that Tinder example, I mentioned the three steps, and that comes down to this car model, um, it seems to pop okay. up everywhere. It seems to pop up everywhere. Like I can't exactly find where it originated from. I found like <laughs> the power of habit, which is quite a famous book for people that are looking for self help and like looking to do life improvements. Um, but also in the in this um, website that I love, it's called BoundlessDesign.ai. They talk about this cue, action, reward, and mm-hmm. this can relate to a lot of different things and. Like for example, in retail, when you're, you, I think this this is one of your specialist subjects, Tim. Like when you're looking yeah. at um, promotions and pricing, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where things are placed, like the gondola stand, the uh, end stand, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 where it is in relation to like a high level or lower level. Uh, these are all paid for because the retailers know that, that that positioning, that design choice to put a product, to put a promotion at a certain place, is more likely to drive a reward. Right. Or, in or this... do they? Right, exactly. <laughs> That's another... It's kind of half my, what half my uh, work has been, actually. Um, actually understanding, you know, do those behaviours actually materialise or are there other mechanics um, sort of at work? Um, and it's actually quite a common uh, common challenge, whether it's to do with promotions mm-hmm. or it's to do with uh, sort of long, long-held long myths about uh, how certain uh, behaviors manifest in in consumers or even at work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like for for example, if you think about gaming, um, I, I, re- I saw this really great video about Fortnite, the the famous game where everyone learned to dab and floss, right? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in in this video, the one of the designers talked about how they created and came up with the concept of Fortnite, which made it easy and repetitive. Um, mm. And and in particular, one of the things that interested me was like the design of the the HUD or the heads up display, which is basically, right. in our terms, a dashboard. Because if we go mm-hmm. back to the term of what a dashboard is, you think of cars, and a car dashboard gives the information at your fingertips. Right, that's what we see right. as a dashboard. And then perhaps we can even link that back to what we do as a day job, right, Tim? 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I think um, we, we touched on this topic. There's actually a really good episode uh, called The Dashboard Conspiracy. Uh, it's a data stories uh, podcast episode 135. It's actually a really good one. They go deep into the question of what is a dashboard, yeah. um, which we won't do now, but it, it touches on a really interesting sort of thing about expectations and um, behavior because in many ways what people call a, a dashboard is irrelevant. Uh, what is relevant is how they then end up using it and how they end up consuming the content. And in, in your example with Fortnite, um, they managed to build something that could easily be consumed by a wide range of people. And, it, and it's, it's, it's a mechanic that makes playing the game much, much, much more enjoyable, yeah. which uh, I think in the car model is called a reward, right? Exactly, exactly. So the, 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 the cue would be that everyone's talking about it. The action would be you actually start playing it and the reward is... You kind of it, it's just a simple game to just pick up and play, right? That that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, we'll talk about another example of it within gaming later on the podcast. But like with Fortnite, I think that the easiest thing is like it's just if you're gonna pay for more stuff, it's not gonna improve your gaming. But exactly, it's like suddenly people want all these different dance moves. They all want the different kit, all this different stuff, just because they want to look good while playing it. But the actual game yeah. itself for everyone is the same exact same thing. Um, which reduces the overhead. But this isn't a gaming UX podcast. We're talking about behavioral design and analytics specifically. Um, exactly. And I, and I think before we dive into it deep, we go in hard. I think it's it's a really interesting thing because I, I, I maybe I'm, I'm, I'm misspeaking here, but I get the sense that this is actually a new concept in analytics in the traditional sense, i.e. in organizations. I don't think it's a new concept in uh, app design mm-hmm. or gaming or a- any of these sort of, um, uh, you know, industries which have actually had analytics embedded in them by the nature of what they do, um, per se. But if you think about, uh, you know, users of Power BI, Tableau, ClickView, whatever, um, we've, we've had this term dashboard sort of thrown at us without much real conceptualization of what actually sits underneath that Mm -hmm. and when we when we build those dashboards when we build those views whatever you want to call them um do we think about behavior as we do that and i think it you know i said it we touch on visual literacy part of that is obviously you know building things that are easy to consume but the other part of it which we don't often think about is sort of the the end result so once a users use something do they do they what is their reward what what is the benefit did it help them get to where they needed to go yeah and i think this is a very new area in analytics which um i think there are very few people who understand it to be brutally honest i i i, I couldn't easily find papers on the topic but i think a lot of people would claim to touch uh, on this topic in sort of one way or form. But I also think they do, right? I think that they, they absolutely do, but they just don't realize it in an explicit way. Like they won't say probably yes. adding an eye icon to find information or highlighting right. a text bit in red is, is right. a nudge or intentional mm-hmm. behavioral design. But it's something mm-hmm. that it's almost like um, uh, in, in Gujarati, you have this term parrot fashion. Um, you're okay. literally parroting what someone else has done because you know it works. Like it's a tried and tested method. So therefore you're doing it. You're not thinking about why you're doing it. But I think the, the nice thing about this in in how I, I agree, it has come up very recently. Um, it's one of these cool things that's like the cross subject area um, thing, right? Because what, what's yeah. interesting about this sort of thing is like, well, if we think about photography, that, that was a thing for a while in, in visualizations. Like everyone's thinking about visualization in the same terms that think about photography with the nine segments, mm-hmm. right? With, yeah. with the foreground background sort of relationship and all of these different things yeah i agree i agree and i, I think 
if you think about um, companies like Tableau and uh, Power BI and um, these companies that sell products off the back of an idea, that this idea is that um, you know analytics is accessible through uh, sort of views or portals or you know call it a portal if you think about things like Tableau Server. Um, they've sort of built multi-billion dollar industries. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's not well understood. And uh, we're still kind of figuring it out, to be briefly honest. I think if you look in the Tableau community, at least which we we know quite well, um, you know, people are still figuring out things. You know, new features come out and it changes the whole sort of paradigm of, of, of expectations. And yet this is a very... And you know, visualization is a very well-known topic. You know, people like uh, uh, Thomas uh, Edward Tuft, is that, Tufty, is that yeah. Tufty, and um, Stephen Few. Stephen Few. I was about to say Stephen Tufty. <laughs> <laughs> unholy comparison. Yeah. Oh wow, that would have been uh, that would have gone down like a bomb. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, these guys have been talking about this for a long time. Stephen Few will, will probably have a very academic understanding of what a dashboard is. Um, would he agree with David McCandless? Probably not. Yeah. But would um, the users we build dashboards uh, for call them both dashboards? Yes. Yeah, right. And so that's a very interesting area. Now, what I, I like about that sort of thing is that the concepts introduced by Tufty, by Few, by Cairo, you know, the, the sort of mm-hmm. the people we see as the godfathers of data visualization. Um, a lot of those concepts are now almost outdated because the way we consume information has changed, right? Yeah, so, it has, it has. Because like, if you think about the way we consume news, like articles, now no longer, you, you're less likely to see a chart in a, in a newspaper, like physical newspaper now, than you are on an image, on social media, on a website, right, right. On, mm-hmm. on a screen, right? You're more likely to see that. So perhaps, again, this is a completely different episode where we sort of tear apart the idea of a dashboard, but... It's it's less about the dashboard. It's more about like, what wh- why are we consuming information in this way? And if we are, are we getting the right information out? Now, for example, this isn't a dashboard, but I wrote an article about um, scatter plots, and a couple of people on football Twitter were writing, creating these long, elongated, rectangular scatter plots, and I was like, this is just mm-hmm. misinformation. Now, I wrote this blog post, and it's funny. Like a couple of the feedback I got was really good article. I learned a lot, but I couldn't tell you what I learned. And I was like, oh man, that's like a failure. I've not conveyed the information. <laughs> I've not taught the people anything. It's yeah, and and this is this is really important because I think going back to you know our champions and so on, uh, I think we think we're all doing a great job. We think we are, uh, you know, absolute stewards. You know, uh, doing the best we possibly can. Um, very well studied. You know, certified on in, complete in all, information. In yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but actually, uh, when I was digging into the sort of underpinnings of behavioral design, mm-hmm. it was actually uh, alarming how little of this I know that I I actually apply and i want to start applying because when you think about it it actually makes sense it's very easy to sort of understand why people respond the way they do so um maybe let's just uh, touch on the underpinnings yeah sure uh, um by um in you know boundless ai have kind of put out in their document mm-hmm. sure so i think the first one like the 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 key one for me at least is the framework right okay the way yeah. the way we actually set this out and the way we actually come to an idea of what we're going to create and, and how we're going to sort of subvert that and sort of tweak it to make sure that the audience and the idea we're trying to put across is put across, right? Yeah. That that's comes from the framework. We need to understand everything that there is from start to finish and we need to understand mm-hmm. the 
the impact and the reaction people have to the, the, the set of information we're presenting. Right, right. And it's it's actually really important because that, that framework forms the, um, it's sort of the catalyst for sort of everything else that comes along, mm-hmm. right? Um, without without that framework or without that direction, you don't really have any solid, solid basis to, to put things forward to people, even try and persuade them. Right, exactly. Um, I think the next one's about being deliberate right so <laughs> yeah I, I find this it's quite it's not alarming but it's so obvious but it's obviously needs highlighting because it doesn't happen and um occasionally i think people actually do uh want to be deliberate with their dashboard designs the whole reason you build things is to to change behavior you know um to, to, to make an impact people yeah make an impact but here, what we're really talking about is actually something even more subtle than that, which isn't just making an impact, i.e. people walk away understanding your message. It's actually about making impact about the way the user uses your content, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's directing almost. Uh, you're, yes, you're, exactly. You're giving them a direction to follow mm-hmm. in order to act off the information you've given them. Now, I quite like this one mainly because it's it, it harks back to a lot of the, the sort of client people, but people who are working in, in sort of design of any sort of visualization or product that is ux based like i think people if you haven't seen it there's a great little article about like um speed versus quality right there's a horse mm-hmm. that's half done like the bottom half is a fantastically shaded contoured horse and the second is like a child's drawing right now mm-hmm. that's important because i think that that touches on like the fact that we are so driven by stakeholders Right. Right. And that that defines what we are allowed to be deliberate with. In many ways, uh, the context kind of probably more often than not constricts what you can be deliberate with. And so you're basically left with very little that you can actually uh, have an impact and change with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a. Uh, goes back to the, the the model we spoke about last week. Um, I remember seeing a viz um, on the Tableau uh, public gallery. I'm just I'm just scrolling the homepage mm-hmm. now to try and hopefully find it before um, hopefully try and fill the air while I do this. I can't find it. I think it's moved moved links. But the point I was going to make was about um, you know we if I take um, in the Tableau world, there's this um, competition called iInviz. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, uh, for people who don't know what it is, it's like a competition. Um, is it a competition even? I don't know. It's, it's kind <laughs> of like, a, it's kind of like, a, oh, I don't know how to describe this uh, to non-Tableau people. It's, it, it's really difficult to, to explain, but essentially they're feed arounds where people submit a visualization uh, some judges select visas that are sort of best of the crop. Mm-hmm. Um, each round has a theme. So it might be, for example, quantified self, one theme. Another yeah. one might be healthcare. Agriculture. And then the winner of each theme gets to go to uh, the Tableau conference. Uh, this year it's in Las Vegas. And on, on a stage in front of, uh, I don't know how many thousand people actually turn up, um, uh, there's a competition and they have to build a viz. Now, in reality, they don't build it for the first time there. No. They've seen the data before. Yeah. They get to practice it. It's kind of very well orchestrated to to sort of help showcase the product, as right. it were. But the point I'm trying to make here is that um, a lot of the sort of uh, entries into this into this thing um, aren't, aren't very deliberate about their design. They, no. they kind of miss the point. Um, and they 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 showcase more skill than actual um you know sort of deliberate design in in the sense that they don't necessarily make the user sort of 
um, interact with the content in the way that leads them to sort of a better understanding. It's more often than not you just yeah. get techniques that are being um, pushed around. The most the, the the one that always sticks out to me is anywhere I see a Sankey diagram. Because... <laughs> <laughs> or anything curvy, right? Anything curvy. Yeah. Well, no, just the Sankey diagram in particular. I'm not I'm not going in on this chart just because I, I don't like this chart. It's just you always see it used when there's a flow of data from one place to the next, right? Mm-hmm. And it's as if there's no other simpler way that people just understand and can can see immediately um, that that can you can do it. You could even have like, for example, a tree diagram, which is much much simpler, equally technically difficult to do, but people don't seem to like want to kind of you know um you know work with that and even set actions for example allow you to do interactions that show you how things go from one part to mm-hmm. the next part i think bethany Lyons calls it proportional brushing yeah yeah um, those are more deliberate attempts to me than, than than some of the sort of techniques you tend to see which are quite design centric um in that sense but i mean that's a massive tangent on deliberate design but but i i, it, I think i think you make some really good points there though like for example like one of the i wrote a blog a few a couple of years ago now about long form right land long form yeah yeah as a almost a cheat because i always said like if you're creating a long form visualization it's almost like okay i've got my first screen display of information but i've just run out of space so mm-hmm. let me add on 100 200 300 pixels and keep making this longer or wider or bigger until i can fit all the charts all the images all the text on this and suddenly mm-hmm. it's storytelling right um yeah and i'm, I'm just like <laughs> I'd rather, I don't know, it's, it's sort of like, I think this comes back to the, the modern day method of interact, interacting with stuff, right? Mm-hmm. A long form visualization as that allows you to follow that very traditional mobile level interaction with the visualization, right? Or an image. Right, right. You're able to double tap into it, it fills your screen, and then you swipe until you, while you consume the information. Again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again, Sorry, the, the deliberate nature becomes, I'd say, the 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 people that create these would probably argue through formatting through deliberate design choice through arrangement but in terms of i don't know i I feel like no one no one actively starts off with a canvas that's uh 400 pixels wide and 2000 pixels long right you don't start with that you always end up with that exactly exactly and it's it's interesting because um the other thing is that it's it's very easy as a build of a dashboard to sort of get that get caught in 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 the uh, yeah. excitement, as it were. If I say that, if I say that rightly, right? Um, there comes a point where, uh, and and it, this actually does happen a lot in the business context, where you're having to prove your skills as much as you are, um, you know fulfill a need for the business so mm-hmm. uh, you know when you start off building a dashboard, especially if you're new and you're new to Tableau. Um, let's be honest the sort of the first examples of your work are actually just you proving a point uh, proving proving that you've got the ability to do something and so those two things can very easily kind of get muddled in mm-hmm. um if the next one is a bit more about being scientific right so this this idea that behavioral design is actually a scientific field um and i think it's been made largely scientific because of the way that um our devices work today you know if i fast forward um a decade let's say i was listening to a podcast about um uh the way that the uh, internet has changed the way people interact and the analogy they gave is this um you, you've probably um, you know heard of flat earthers right so people yeah, yeah. the world is flat right now um imagine you walk 
past uh, flat earth in the street a decade ago right mm-hmm. you you just walk past them and you you know because you believe uh, science you believe their facts and you know the facts but you don't necessarily stop to want to change that person's opinion right? Correct. You just sort of let them get on with the day and you know just walk on by and maybe hundreds of other people do the same thing okay now in that in that one day one person might stop to talk to them and so if you were to do a straw poll you'd say okay one in two thousand people stopped to talk to this person and so you probably think they're just you know the the village loony or whatever you want to say okay now here comes the internet okay and the digital equivalent of this is that this one person is now talking to six billion people okay Mm -hmm. so if you do one in two thousand of six billion people you actually have quite a big critical mass right correct whereas before whereas before you know this this person was preaching to no one now he's suddenly speaking to an audience of millions of people yeah if if anyone if anyone's had a tweet go viral the amount of your dms blow up with like a couple of hundred people replying but like Imagine just on the scale of, you know, like you, there's there's a concept of the ratio on Twitter, right? When there's very few likes and retweets, but like thousands of replies. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it, the nature of devices today is meant that we can measure all these interactions that are happening between people and they're amplified even larger. And so when they're amplified this way, we can even home in on what used to be really niche aspects of the way that, um, you know, people work in the workplace or the communities consume information and yeah. data. And so behavioral design has had a, kind of had this sort of data-driven injection and energy um, and combined with um, things like neural analysis and, and behavioral analysis, yeah. uh, this psychological and data science kind of melding part of, of, of understanding is formed. Yeah, and I, th- I think that there's also the anthropological sense, right? And I think the, the, the point you make about the velocity of information is so important here uh, that that's why exactly. this this is why academics are focusing on this sort of thing this is why uh, when we think about systematic scientific design as a, as a part of behavioral design um they're, they're homing in on it as these concepts that they can apply and sort of spot in nature a bit more right or spot right. in human behavior a bit more and what's important is what they then are able to see is those levers th- those levers that you can pull on and start working with to actually change that behavior Exactly. And this is kind of how the car model has actually come about, right? Yeah. Because people have, have built very sort of nice, clear understanding of, you know, at a high level, we're not talking about if you dangle a carrot, this is what will happen. We're talking about understanding exactly what people consider rewards to be, uh, behavior to be and mm-hmm. habits to be, and being able to repetitively prove this sort of um, interaction, right? And this cycle of behavior, um, because ultimately we're trying to bring about change, which is actually the next point. Um, exactly, and and that, that's that's where we come back to this positive point. This is the the thing that we, all our the best intentions of behavior design should and large by and by and large are to drive positive change. For example, the most mm-hmm. like the one that I quote the most is probably about um, the driving license in the UK. Um, you know the fact yeah. that you're nudged to become a blog and order donor it used to be opt in now it's opt out so you're less mm-hmm. likely to think hang on i'm going to opt out and not give blood away i'm not going to get share my organs once i passed on um right. and that's a positive change right things like look left on the on the street that's a positive change to make sure that you are doing that thing mm-hmm. yeah exactly exactly um and and you know the the last thing here is is that um 
the environment and and it's so important we talked about environment last week how you know the same person in two environments um you know last week a couple of weeks ago even um the same person in different environments won't necessarily achieve the same outcome yeah uh, because environment is so important it's fluid exactly exactly and so the the biggest achilles heel actually in this whole topic is uh, misunderstanding your environment because you could you could have all the sort of you know good intentions and, and direction and you know philosophy around this but by not understanding your environment and and fundamentally not picking your moment and or people carefully you can very easily find yourself sort of um not actually having the successes you'd want and kind of misunderstanding people's behavior and then this can come back to bite you when we start to talk about uh, uh sort of the ethical side of this because at the end of the day you are you're turning people's behaviors into a science and when you start to do that you start to play with something called trust yeah <laughs> and uh, uh and when people trust uh when people start to trust your product and i'll talk about it as a product um and so when you start to talk about trust uh, you know you know people people look at what you're doing as a product and when you start to sort of tweak with the way people behave and you start to do it in a scientific way ethics start to play a really really important part of mm-hmm. this um, one of the things I've, I've talked about in the past when we talk about design is user experience. And I think this is where ethics kind of melds nicely with, with what we're talking about. Um, and uh, in a talk I gave, I talked about uh, a concept, which is the levels of user experience. And it, what we're really talking about is sort of something similar to Maslow's high, hierarchy of needs, right? But, but for user experience. And it starts off at the very bottom with uh, safety. So fundamentally, um, you know, when someone starts using your analytics tool, they talk about, um, you know, they, they think about, sorry, uh, whether this product sort of conveys safety. Does it convey trust? Does it, um, you know, follow the brand guidelines? Mm-hmm. Is it something familiar? Is the data correct? And at the very fundamental level, if you don't get this right, people won't even go to the next question, which is, is, is it useful? But, is it better than what I had before? Yeah. Right? Before, before, so, you, oh, before you move on to that, I think, I, I think reputation comes into this massively because you, yes, you have a reputation... Yes. Before you go in anyway, like this is the way we talk about like the whole thing you taught as a kid about first impressions. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where the reputation begins. Exactly. And, and if you've got a reputation or an inkling that you're not a safe safe product or brand, yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah, exactly. move on to utility at all. Exactly. And in fact, people start to misconstrue your product as dangerous and they don't want to be associated with it. I've, I've so many times. I've, Self-driving cars I've, I've, ring a bell? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're actually safer than people, but uh, the level, the bar of safety that they have to pass is much higher because there's no human being in them. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's funny. I've been in so many analytics projects where, you know, with all good intentions, we followed the guidelines as, you know, as we were told, we've been given the data by the business, mm-hmm. but because we can't reach the same level of certainty as the business had with their existing tool it's just so difficult to get any sort of sense in anything else because the first thing people ask is 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 the data correct is it right and even if you preface it with the data isn't right but what we want you to do is look and see if you like this format just so we can get past the format issue yeah and we actually know what we need to build and it's just impossible i, I thought I, I th- people all struggle my, my, my first my first role uh, in, my, in my first placement at the daily school was um, with a guy named Ben Strauss, who's a fantastic manager to work for. And whenever a, a, a consultant we were working with said, I'd like to use dummy data for this, Ben was like, I've got cold sweats. Do not say that word to me again. And I was like, well, so I, I sort of inquired, like, I was like, dummy data makes sense. You know, you're using a rough data set and, and the numbers might not be right, but it gives you a flavor. 
Yeah. But but the the key thing comes down to fundamentally people focus on the numbers than the design or than the product yeah. itself. Yeah, because that's where the reputation and safety is, right? Correct. And then, you know, if the numbers are correct, the next thing you go to is utility. Yeah. You know, does it actually do the job it's supposed to? And actually, this is very quick and easy to evaluate because people don't get stuck on this. What people get stuck on next is, is it effective? Yeah. You know, um, you know you've gone through all this effort to give me something, uh, but is it actually better than what I had before? Correct. And if the answer is yes, then the next thing they default to is, okay, well, fine. Um, it's, it's, it's effective. It's, 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 you know, the numbers are right. I can use it. Um, is it efficient? Uh, I don't know. You know, I have to put in lots <laughs> of stuff into a spreadsheet. The Cognitive workflows. load as well. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have to outsource this ETL workflow i you know is that really more efficient than what we were doing before with excel files um <laughs> and you know if you manage to overcome that hurdle right and the business all in then it goes back to satisfaction and this is the thing this is the stickiest this is the stickiest thing ever because i've seen dashboards that do all the previous four things efficient effective well utilized you know very very correct numbers but because people don't get the satisfaction and by satisfaction i don't mean you know uh does it does it do something for them i i i'm simply talking about their own sort mm -hmm. of um personal development does it does it propel me forward in my career does it enable me to do something what other questions can i ask of this data right yeah um and so you've delivered what they've asked for but they're already thinking about the next step and that's what they consider as uh, satisfaction and it's only when you sort of go one step back and what you offer people is here, here's a, an analytic suite of products. Can you then start to talk about, you know, fulfillment, which is, you know, this is fun. This is enjoyable. I really like using this. It helps me with my job and my work. I can see the numbers. It's timely. It's efficient. It's organized. It's safe. Yeah. That is when you sort of reach the full circle. And that is so hard. It's so hard. It's never done with one tool. No. And I think that that self-fulfillment, I think the, the only thing I can think of, the only concrete example I can think of where you'll ever get to that is, if the CEO of your company, right at the top, the person who owns everything, you know, the, the big, big, big boss, if he's <laughs> yeah. like, I like this, then suddenly it's self-fulfilling because it's like, ah, oh, yes, I've finally succeeded. Like, it's never right. about the fact, like, it's never about intrinsic, well, in, intrinsic support and it, like your your own uh, personal enjoyment, right? It's all about everything that you're almost showered upon you, like that, that satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because if you were to take this to any other industry, let's say artist or musician, mm -hmm. um, self fulfillment would be about expression and being understood, right? It's, <laughs> it's an art form. It's a completely different thing. Whereas you, you go to work and actually self-fulfillment is a completely different sort of career orientated uh, uh sort of high level thing and um yeah i'm not going to go into sort of the psychology of this now yeah. branching out into other topics at this rate um but going back to ethics it's so important you keep those factors in mind because as soon as you start to sort of you know fall on any of those aspects people start to lose trust and the ethics of the way that you're sort of handling the tool start to come into question. Yeah. A good example is Tableau uh, Server has a Postgres database. Uh, this Postgres database collects analytics about which data sources, views are being used, when they're being used, who the authors are, uh, down to an email level. So you could essentially see how often someone sees a dashboard. And I always love people's reaction when I highlight that you can build a dashboard that shows their usage of a dashboard, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's it's one of those things where no one will ever openly go, I don't like that. But you can see that exact reaction. They start to pale. 
Like one drop of sweat yeah, comes exactly. down. Yeah. They sort yeah. of and, uh, scribble something down. <laughs> and I don't think it's because of fear that, you know, they're going to be found out. I think it's it's because fear of the opposite thing, which is here we are asking for something. And for the first time, actually, someone's going to be able to look and see how we use this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a very it's a very sort of interesting tool. And I think when you think about ethics, it goes back to things like that. You don't want to turn into a nanny state where you're sending out an email going, oh, a top user was X, bottom user was this, you know? You sort of, you need to be using that data at a high level, not really using it as like a whip as such, but more as a way of understanding behavior and trying to sort of say, well, hey, we've got this group of users who have access to the server, but they're not engaging with the content. Why is that? Yeah, so not to go to them and say, why aren't you using it? But to, to, to go to them and say, hey, how could we help you use this more? So, so would that be like some sort of incentive or reward for using it, would you say? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one because incentives and rewards aren't the same thing. Okay. I mean, businesses are A-class examples of confusing those two things. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think a, re- a reward in the car model, as I see it, is, uh, is not necessarily even an incentive. It's, um, you know, I think we probably think of rewards in uh, this particular use case as uh, let's take something like, oh, the top user gets, you know, five pound Amazon voucher, right? Yeah. That's not a reward because... A reward is something where the expectation of what you get is lower than what you actually receive. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the very simple terms: if I uh, if I'm the top user of an analytics tool and I get a, an email from the head of business intelligence saying, "Well done, you were the uh, most frequent user," and then he sends us a T-shirt or something that I actually value, mm-hmm. um, even if I don't like the thing he sends me or she sends me, um, that that is a reward because it's a surprise. I wasn't expecting it. Now, if I then end up being the top user every single month, it stops becoming a reward and it starts to become an expectation. Mm -hmm. Okay. And too many times businesses get it stuck in this way of describing rewards, which means that, um, you know, they're not fluid. They don't move with the organization. After a while, they become an expectation. Correct. Right. Whereas an incentive is more like, um, you're going to get something, if you do this today in five months time if you get three more people you get x y and z right it's sort of like exactly delayed action i think the the, the other game i was going to mention in in this sort of area about rewards is flappy bird do, do you remember that <laughs> yeah i did, did, did. flappy bird was, about my phone yeah right <laughs> flappy bird was that, that that weird game that had like two weeks of fame and then the guy like shut it down because he was like i can't make money off like people being idiots um <laughs> Because it was such like a basic game. It was, it was. If you don't remember this, so this is a game where you tap. It's like the, that old helicopter game. Used to, I, I played in high school or primary school. We like. Cle- I'll put a link in the show notes. It's still on the app store. Right. Okay. So basically, you hold down your, you tap the phone, hold it down to make the bird go up, and you have to dodge all the obstacles. Basically, right. Now, yeah. Ev- no one could get past like ten on Flappy Bird. Like you can't. You couldn't like, pass ten obstacles. Everyone getting stuck. Right. And. It's like that short-term intention, basically, it's like you, it's a really simple game. The concept's easy. Right, that's your cue. The action you do, you, you tap to make the bird fly up and down. Great. The reward is a high score. Now, the, the key thing here is that there's a shallow learning curve and there's instant gratification, right? Like the, the, the more right. you do it, again, this comes back to Fortnite. It's a very shallow learning curve. It's a, um, it's a first-person shooter. You, you basically don't try not to die. Um I just died, Ravi. I just died. I got I got past two. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and this was just like because it's such a short, sharp game, you can just pick up and play. 
right? Like you've got that two minute gap when you're waiting for something, you just fire up Flappy Bird and play that or whatever. Fortnite's different because it's like a 20, 30, 40 minute game you actually end up playing. But that, that sort of um, Q action reward, the CAR model that we keep referring to, that, that the aspect of the shadow learning curve and the instant gratification, th- does that sound familiar to you, Tim? Like that's exactly <laughs> why we love Tableau. That's exactly why we yeah, love it because yeah. it's easy yeah. to pick up. You've got instant gratification in the building of the charts and the dashboards. But it's that cycle and the process that really helps drive that ethical that ethical thing because if you're able to control that and give that power back to the user and be very transparent with exactly what you're trying to do, and that's obvious to the user as well, isn't quite a simple thing to understand, then boom, you're you're onto a winner. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's so it's so um it's such a tough thing to do. I, I think this is why this area needs more more research because mm. um y- First of all, I think, as we say, organizations are different. But then secondly, I think um, the way companies are set up to handle this, I mean, analytics teams are by no means behavioral experts. And actually, what we're talking about here is a field that needs uh, behavioral experts. You probably need quants as well, people who can get into the numbers and understand sort of what's going on. You need um, data scientists to sort of take some of that behavior and start standardizing it um, and, and, and try and sort of run a different type of analysis onto it. So you can maybe hope to be a little bit more predictive about sort of where you're heading. Yeah. And then the final aspect is obviously leadership, because once you start to see these behaviors, there's the there's sort of the leadership, bit, which is, well, do you want these behaviors to persist or do you not want them to persist? Mm-hmm. Right. There's sort of so many different sort of caveats to this and when you start tweaking these things it's a bit like an f1 car formula one car um you know the smallest tweak over here to the suspension can change the the level of wear and tear on your tires which means that you have to do an extra pit stop which cuts you 20 seconds which means that you finish uh, 10 seconds behind the leader rather than five seconds ahead right yeah um, and it's it's that kind of fine tuning that you start to really kind of get in line with once you understand the sort of the way these things work cool yeah so what's the now what then what's our what's our like takeaway for our listeners i guess i guess if we start at the basics all right so i, I think i want to emphasize this point very very hard and that is whatever you're building the product uh is 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 the most important thing so if it's an analytics product um and you set out to uh have a dashboard that um does x X is the most important thing and keeping a focus that is the most important thing because if you have a process which is led by anything else other than the goal, then you start to have sort of very unhealthy dynamics influencing some of what we've talked about, especially behavioral design, right? Because um, if I take a simple example, so often we build dashboards and we get to sort of nearly going live and then marketing get in, gets involved, <laughs> and uh, and I I don't mean marketing as in marketing the profession. I mean marketing as in um, the, the the manager or the lead of something. The person who's going to like it in a certain yeah. way and wants a certain label here. And the delivery, the delivery, the yeah, exactly, exactly. The owner, that's the one. Yeah. The product owner, as they'd call them in the agile methodology. <laughs> 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 yeah, they they you know. Marketing starts to drive what the tool is, and then you start loading your dashboard with all these things that it doesn't need, and then the user gets it, and they're really unhappy. And they're like, "Oh my god, the, there's so much here!" Again, this comes back to the deliberate design. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, product must come first, um, and everything else comes after. Um, understand how habits work in your organization. I think 
it really does depend on organization to organization, especially if you have a culture of analytics already. I think if you took someone from a startup sort of analytics team and you put them into uh, an analytics team for a company that's been running for the last hundred years, it'd be a very different sort of way of working, um, mm-hmm. very different. And I think you vastly sort of grain and uh, sorry, go against the grain in that sense. Um, tracking is absolutely essential. You need to track the metrics, whatever you yeah. consider as engagement metrics. Um, it's it's interesting because I think people just track every metric under the sun. I think it's also it's identifying to... those success metrics. Like what is your actual metric that you're driving for that success, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, is it just people turning up to the Viz? Or is it people returning to the Viz time and time again? Or is it people sending you emails to say, hey, I used this once, but it was great. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. How can I export it? Um, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, there's so much there that is is funny on that export thing i think people asking i love that as an example because it's just the one that comes up time and time again you build a what you think is a great dashboard um it's hard to say if it is or not uh you deliver it and then someone uses it and says this is great this is really fast i love it how can i export the data yeah and that question drives home on two levels it it drives home on one point which is you misunderstood their need like just because they want to export doesn't mean they're wrong yeah. <laughs> but, but, but the, I, th- I think, I think the, other, the other flip side is when someone picks up a dashboard and you've got like a big thing front and center but the, what they're really interested in is that tiny chart on the bottom left right yeah that's exactly, exactly the, that's exactly the same it's like you've missed the point because what the users really wanted was that bottom left chart not exactly. not this thing exactly. that you personally find interesting Exactly. And so it's really interesting because so many people sort of critique that. Oh, why do you want an export? Look at this wonderful viz and stuff. And it's like, no, no, no. But you missed completely. You entirely missed the point because what they gave you was an expression. You asked them what they wanted and they told you what they wanted. They told you literally exactly what they wanted. <laughs> but uh, if, if, if uh, you know, if you went back into the golden ages and said, uh, I want a faster horse, a car would not have turned up, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that's That's the old Henry Ford example, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so you know we we kind of bang our heads on the table when when users do things we don't like with them but actually we've got to start learning to listen to that behavior and say okay you want an export okay let's see what happens when you do an export let's see where you go from here yes absolutely and 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 and, uh you know in in if i take a very simple example in tabo well it's i wouldn't actually give you an export what i'd say to you was instead of an export why don't you have access to this way of building your own dashboard so you can build your own views because the reason you want an export so you can go to excel so why don't i make that easier for you yeah and make it easy for you to build stuff here's a data source rather than report um the other one is when sorry go on yeah no could be good yeah i was gonna say this might be preempting what you're gonna say but the other thing is people want to see that raw number and they want to yeah. do that quick calculation themselves for their own sanity. Um, exactly, just to check. Exactly. Now, I think what you're saying there about you teach them, right? You teach them how to change it. You, you say, what are you doing? Let me help you. That mm-hmm. thing is so important. Like That is where you create new habits. That is where you can create this new culture. The stuff we talked about last in the last episode about champions. Right. Like, mm-hmm. This is how you train and develop and you, you sort of educate people you don't you don't push them away and sort of ridicule them you don't say ha 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 use the pie chart you sort of you talk about what they're actually doing and then you go from there exactly and 
And, uh, you know, once you start to do the basics, right, and you start to understand these things, then you can start to kind of understand at a little bit higher level what best practice is. And I think this is actually something that, I mean, level one, I think a lot of companies, I have to say, give credit to this, do do this to an extent. They do track these metrics. They do understand what's going on in the organizations. They might not be able to articulate it and they might not be able to sort of point at it and put a finger on it and Mm. say, hey, this is what's happening. But... They understand how small changes to their products will will impact their users. And that means they're already at this sort of second level, which is about cultivating a culture. And I think uh, I think sometimes it's you can sort of take this too literally. When you're cultivating a culture, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've established it. It just means that you're building it and letting it grow and letting it happen. But it doesn't mean that it has to be set in stone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um uh, the, you know that allows people to try new things um, and, and and sort of push things in new new ways. And as you're doing that, because you're measuring, you can obviously always see how people engage with it, see how people react. What catches fire catches fire, and you sort of let it run. And um, what doesn't, well, you, you go back to those things and you start to understand, you know, what's going on. I think one of the best use cases I've seen of this is um, a client which I've worked with recently who. You know, they have about 40 analytics products on their Tableau server. And, <laughs> right. uh, they've built like a, um, a little report that says, you know, which ones are being used or not. And, you know, the, they've built 40 products for various people. And for the first time, they've looked at the Postgres database of, of dashboards. Um, and from their perspective, all 40 dashboards have needed maintenance <laughs> up until I showed them this Postgres database and the analytics behind it. And, you know, some of the charts on there were saying that you know, two people have looked at it in this month. And so they realized as a team, they're spending a whole load of time maintaining stuff. That's just, it's just being serving like four people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then they don't realize that they or, or they just don't look, I think is the, the better way of putting it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then last one is, is obviously if you're, if you're real, if you're a real baller level with all of this, <laughs> then you could even start to, you know, predict and, understand what happens if you're google level with this so you know if you move this button over here you know people won't click it and this is what will happen because you fully understand sort of what's going on and you you can sort of map behaviors to actions and actions to behaviors yeah exactly i think that's a good podcast unless you have anything else to add or finish up on no 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 that's it's very it's a very interesting topic um i love it i think we're gonna have to revisit aspects that we've talked about oh god yeah there's so many little nuggets everywhere like three or four pod, mini, mini podcasts spawned off there. Got <laughs> 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 to love editing this one, trying to keep it concise. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for tuning in once again. Um, and thank you for bearing with us as we've, uh, you know, recently changed our branding. Um, let us know what you think about that, by the way. Uh, we've kind of just imposed it on you. We didn't do like a, a focus group as they typically do with these things and ask you which one of the, the th- 10 logos <laughs> should we go for. <laughs> maybe we should do like an evernote style blog about how we didn't change our like yeah yeah yeah, the original one was great right yeah yeah. (laughs) exactly absolutely okay mate uh take it easy i'll catch you in the next one nice one take it easy